time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, 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 friends. Welcome back to another episode of The Right Conversations. We are talking about fetishes today. And I'm very excited because this is a topic that I think um, is very confusing for a lot of people. And uh, I'm excited to have my friend and colleague, Miss Bloom, here with us. Hello, my dear. Hello. I'm so excited to be here chatting with you. Oh, so excited. Will you introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, what lights you up to everyone listening who doesn't know you already? I would love to. Uh, so my name is Nikki Davis. I'm a sex educator, writer, and coach. And my focus is working with folks who have less common desires. And I sort of came into this accidentally through, I think, just my personality is being very open and receptive. So throughout my whole life, people would open up to me about their sex lives and things that they might not have ever said to anyone else out loud before. So that's sort of how, how this all began. And now in my coaching practice, at least 70 to 80% of my clients have found me because they are living with a less common desire. And a lot of my work is helping them get to a place of acceptance in a world that's still unfortunately very negative when it comes to sex. And a lot of folks have just like a rough upbringing being turned on by something less common, but not at all harmful, like balloons. <laughs> and it's like, how, how do we get to a place where that doesn't have to elicit feelings of shame, but can kind of be a fun addition to one's sex life? Oh, so such important work and so good. So let's just dive right in. It, I, the whole vibe of this podcast and anybody who's listened to more than just this episode right now will, will know this, but the, the whole vibe of this podcast is a conversation, right? And so I really want to truly have a conversation with you about fetishes. Um, but I think in order to do that, we need to define it. So how do you define fetishes or a fetish? That's a great question. Um, so I define a fetish as an enduring fascination with a specific sensory stimuli. And that includes body parts like feet, toes, legs, body actions such as urine, smoking, and objects. So people can be turned on by carpets, diapers, leather type of clothing. And it's something that is not inherently sexual. And that gets complicated because it's like, what is and what isn't sexual? Because I've had people be like, oh, I have a boob fetish. And it's kind of like a rough line, you know, because I think most people are turned on by balloons. So where is that line is something that I think there is not much research on. And I don't think yeah. I think there is a large gray area there for sure. So when you say if someone listening is like, what the fuck, what do you mean not sexual? Like it's in fetish inherently sexual. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. So it means that they usually become hyper-focused 
not necessarily to an unhealthy degree, but they become hyper-focused on something that for most people is not sexual, something like balloons or cigarettes or everyday household items. For some people that becomes eroticized. And for them, they, I had a really interesting conversation with someone with a foot fetish when he was discussing what it's like going out in spring when everyone has their toes out. And he was like, for me, that's the same as everyone walking around naked. So I have to find a way to deal with the situation of being just like excited by something that for most people, they just sort of don't inherently think of it as sexual. So it's that the item itself or the body part itself or the action itself isn't sexual, but it translates into a sexual excitement in someone. Well put. Yes, exactly. Okay. okay. So I think one of the most common that we hear about is probably a foot fetish. Um, and I've heard different people talk about this, like, oh, it's not a fetish if you can get off without feet being involved. Um, no, it is a fetish if you're just like super interested. Like where where is that line in terms of the the need to have the thing around? Yeah. And I think that is sort of differentiating the way they talk about it in literature where they're basically trying to diagnose someone versus mm. the way I think of a fetish as more for a lot of people, it's an extra spice that they can add to their sex life. So the vast majority of people that I work with, they're not only turned on by this thing. A lot of them have very satisfying sex lives that don't involve it. But for them, maybe when they're masturbating, they like to think of it. Or maybe it's something that crosses their mind and they're like, this could be fun. But I would say 80 to 90% of people that I work with, they're also very turned on by quote unquote, regular sex or other types of sexual interaction that doesn't necessarily involve this item. And I think that for a lot of people, when you hear about fetish, you think of like, dude steals like 14 pairs of underwear and like runs down the street. Like there's all these like yeah, yeah. stereotypes. And I think that that's so far from the experience that I've seen. And that's where the problem lies is when people come to me and they have all this shame. And it's like really a lot of my work is like, how do we reframe that as shifting it from the way that they've been taught that fetishes are probably a negative thing that will detract from your sex life. And instead of shifting it to like, how do I talk to my partners and get to a place where this could maybe be something I could explore or could I, I can at least enjoy by myself without feeling shame or guilt around it. So, oh, I love this. So... Uh... What do I want to ask you? I have like 15 questions in my head. <laughs> what are some things that are quite typical or maybe more frequent that you see that some people might be sitting at home thinking like, I am the only person on this earth that thinks that this is sexy or that elicits an erotic response in me? Yeah, totally. That's a great one. As we said, I think feet are number one. Feet are super common. And I don't know, do you know the neurobiological reason for that? It's kind of interesting. Tell, tell us. Tell me. So <laughs> I will tell you. <laughs> so in our brain, we have an area that's called the somatosensory cortex. And basically all the sensations we experience throughout our body is represented in this part of our brain. And how it happens is the feet and the toes are right beside the genitals. So the theory is that there's some neuro misfiring that for a lot of people connects 
the toes to the genitals. And I think there's just fascinating research on it. Like, for example, when people uh, become, if they get their legs amputated, sometimes they can experience orgasms through their amputated leg. So it kind of shows oh. that these two body parts are connected in this part of our brain that researchers are kind of just starting to understand what's going on there. Um, so it's super wild and it kind of makes a lot of sense. So when people are like, what's wrong with me? I have a foot fetish. It's like, no, this is very, very natural. It just, it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So what are some of the other more common slash typical um, frequent ones that you hear? Definitely different types of materials. So stockings, leather, latex, all of that is super, super common. Um, furries, very common. Mm. And it's interesting because even the fetishes that you might think of as not necessarily common, there's huge thriving online communities. For example, I, I might be the world expert in sneeze fetishes. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> like a good chunk of my clients have sneeze fetishes and on the online sneeze forum, there's over a thousand people. And wow. what, what I find fascinating about sneezes is it's one of the fetishes that seems to be more queer and more sort of female. So that's kind of fun and interesting. I don't exactly know um, why that's the case. Um, but yeah, there's tons of water sports, super common, uh, mm -hmm. scat play, fairly common, fart fetishes, not uncommon. Being hyper interested in a certain type of body part is really very, very common. And it kind of really depends on what you were exposed to when you're young. That's sort of where the research comes for to discover what it is you get turned on by and you can be turned on by anything. That's what's fascinating. So for example, quicksand used to be a fetish because it was in movies a lot in like the seventies and eighties. And now because quicksand is no longer in movies, people don't develop that fetish. So it's really just like you have this critical time and it's very normal to become hyper aroused by something that you experience in that time. Another example, if you have kids with younger siblings, you're more likely to eroticize pregnancy. And that's just because you see your mother be pregnant. That doesn't mean that you have weird feelings towards your mother. It's none of that. It's just like, you see something around the same time that your sexuality is developing. There's even fascinating research on animals where if goats are raised by sheep, they're more likely to be turned on by sheep and not goats. So it's like whatever you see, that's what you find sexy. And that's just the way the way it works. And I think that can really help people reframe whatever they're turned on by is it's like you probably just saw it at a time and now it's sexy for you. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I really, it all makes so much sense, right? Like when we just talk about it, like of course, even from a psychological persistent, like not that sex isn't psychological, but let's like take all of the sex stuff out of it. We seek what we're familiar with, like mm -hmm. just from a survivalist psychological wiring standpoint, our brains are still like, oh, this is familiar, familiar equals safe, which also isn't necessarily true, but that's a conversation for yeah. a different day. Familiar equals safe and, and therefore 
I'm going to seek out what is familiar because we love the feeling of safety, right? Which is like often why we'll stay in situations, relationships, jobs, whatever, and not change things up, even if we're miserable, because being comfortable in misery can sometimes feel uh, better than being uncomfortable in something that could possibly not be miserable. Um, So it makes so much sense that from a sexual perspective, we're also seeking things that are familiar, even on a subconscious level. And depending on when those things became familiar, that then they might be associated with being turned on or eroticism or whatever the case may be. Exactly. And then it's like, once it becomes erotic, you're probably going to have these experience with it, which will make that even more stronger. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is there, how (laughs) how do you help people figure out if a fetish is on like, quote unquote, unhealthy? And I use quote unquote, because I really, the question is not from a place of judgment in terms of like, I don't even know. I just, I'm using quotes mm-hmm. because I really don't mean it in a judgmental way it, at all. Yeah. Um, but how do you help people figure that out? Yeah. I think the main thing that I go by is sort of how they feel about it. So if they mm-hmm. feel like it's taking up too much of their time, if they feel like it's preventing them from having other interactions with people that they want, if they feel like it's a barrier, to their happiness, not because of the stigma around it, but because of the action itself, then I think for those folks, some of what we can work on is like ways to sort of help them feel a little more in control of it or to help them sort of slightly shift their behavior around it. But the vast majority of the folks I work with, it feels like the problem isn't the arousal or the fetish itself. It's more like their thoughts around it. And that's something that is sort of easier to shift. So it's like if they really enjoy masturbating an hour a day with balloons and that brings them joy, I think there's nothing wrong with that. If they're doing it and then after they get into this negative cycle and they don't want to go outside because they feel like there's something inherently wrong with them and they feel like it's really fucked up and no one's going to want to be with them because of that. I think that's sort of where most of the folks that come see me, that's where the problem usually is. Okay. So it's kind of like the line that I use, which is like, is it impairing your life in some way? A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. That's great. You've probably figured this out by yourself by now, but if you own a vulva, did you know that there is a three in five chance that having penetrative sex doesn't result in an orgasm? Enter Zumio. (laughs) Zumio is a -a one-of-a-kind toy with the sole purpose of providing a unique, stimulating experience. And guess what? It doesn't even vibrate. It rotates with a concentrated pinpoint energy that allows you to control how and where you use it. There are four different models specifically designed for your personal intensity preferences. And Zumio is great for vulva mapping and exploring the rest of your body, whether that is solo or with a partner. Check out www.myzumio.com slash Rachel, that's R-A-C-H-E-L, for a special discount for the Right Conversations listeners and take control of your orgasms today. So how do you, how does one discover 
often in your experience, what have you seen? How are people figuring out that they have a fetish? Like balloons, for example, like, are you, are you just like at a kid's birthday party one day or like at party city and like, oh my gosh, why am I so turned (laughs) on? Like what, what is like a common uh, (laughs) way that you hear people realize these things? Yeah. And I love, I love asking people about their first stories because they're always like so fascinating and they're often really positive. Uh, yeah, so I'm with, sure. <laughs> like they're just like, it was a great time. <laughs> so the balloon community, they call themselves lunars okay. and a lot of them, a good chunk of them were raised actually being terrified of balloons. So their whole childhood, it was something that for them brought a lot of fear. And then they were sort of able to eroticize the fear in this fascinating way. Ah. Similarly to, I've heard stories of folks that shift into like cuckolding or something where first they're really jealous of their partner and, or like there's some fear there and then they shift it in a way that actually makes their life better. When it comes to specific stories of what that can look like, it can really sort of run the gamut where sometimes someone just sort of finds themselves alone in a room full of balloons and maybe that's around the time they're discovering masturbation and then they're like oh this material actually feels kind of good or like when i rub my body against this that sort of leads me to feel pleasure and the research shows that sometimes it's just one experience like that that can actually start the fetish but for some people it's already there it kind of depends on a whole host of factors but yeah, there's so many fascinating really stories. If you have time, check out Blow to Pop and read all the stories of just like all the different folks who are exploring their fetish in different ways. And it goes through what are good balloons for having sex on and what are the different ways to explore. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating world out there. I have I interviewed someone who's turned on by a carpet about his experience and he basically shared that when he was younger, all his friends sort of had ideas of careers. They wanted to be a policeman. They wanted to be a judge. And for him, his whole life, all he wanted to do was to experience being a carpet and being stepped on. So then when he played with his friends, that would be his role. And now he's a full-time carpet. <laughs> he's living his dream. He's like at these fetish parties. Awesome. And just living that carpet life, you know? So <laughs> cool. So cool. It's really, um, it's really so much more common than people think to to have different fetishes. And I think that like so much of where the shame lies is thinking that, you know, we're the only ones or like we're some type of weirdo or like we're being pathologized by people, you know, to your point before, like it's, yeah. So what, yeah how can people find community? Like if they're like, oh my God, I love balloons. Balloons are my thing. Like how does one find this community of a thousand people, a thousand plus people? Yeah, totally. Well, first of all, based on your your last point, there was actually a recent study out of Montreal that found almost half of people have arousal to some type of fetish. So it really Mm -hmm. is genuinely so common. And I think what differentiates people is what it is they're turned on by, but every single, like almost every single community out there, it exists for all different types of fetish, even those that might be less common or that you might not hear about a lot. Mm -hmm. Like I think the lunar community is over 5,000 people. So what you do 
if you find something, I think FetLife is a really great resource. So on FetLife, there's a lot of different sort of sub uh, conversations that you can join or groups you can join about a myriad of different fetishes. Also Reddit, there's a lot of great stories and it's a great place to sort of share videos and look at like what other people find interesting. So that could be a good one. And even Google, if you Google, this is my fetish. Um, oftentimes there's a different word that they use. So it's not usually like something philia. It's usually like a community driven word. So I think you can kind of like figure out the word people are using okay. who are reframing it as positive. So like if you Google balloon fetish fun, the first thing you'll see is lunars. Um, and I genuinely think that no matter what you're turned on by, there is a community out there. And I think it's also important to mention there is a schmuck. There's always like five mm. beautiful things and then one schmuck saying something that is just like hurtful. And I think part of what you can work on is to sort of feel confident enough in yourself to not take that in because I'm sure you know, like humans were very, um, it's common for us to take in the negative and not the positive. Yep. And that I think that's just like the way our brains work. And it's something yeah. I'm trying to work on too, is like, how yeah, do we focus on the us. more, all of us. So I think it's something to work on is to focus on the positive and the places where people are spreading joy and excitement and new ways to explore instead of places where they're, they might be sort of living in a sex negative world. Like I had a friend or someone that I worked with who had a fetish and he had one negative comment on something he said, and then he just like left the community for five years. And Ugh. it's just, it's just sad. So I think Terrible. it's in all of us to not take that personally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we talked about community. We talked about what a fetish is. What do you think um, are some of the most misunderstood things about fetishes out there yeah like what are some of the biggest myths yeah so one of them is that you are it's something that last month year there one sec one sec <clears throat> one of them is that fetishes are something that people explore alone i've seen so many wonderful examples and a lot of what i work with people with is finding a place where you can explore your fetish with a partner and it can add to both of your sex lives. And I think sometimes it does take a little bit of navigation there. I think sometimes there is a phase if you've been in a relationship with someone for 10 years and they haven't yet felt comfortable telling you about their fetish and then mm -hmm. you tell your partner, there might be a phase for your partner to kind of re-understand you. And I think for some people, it does feel like a slight betrayal because it feels like they were keeping a part of their, them from your partner for a long time but a lot of the times this is something that you can work through and that yeah there's lots of examples of from there finding a way to explore excitement and connection together is kind of awesome that's really helpful thank you is there any and i if you guys are listening go back to the very first episode of this podcast um it's how to talk to your partner about sex like how to have a conversation around sex so check that out for like a framework in how to generally talk about sex in your relationship. But in your work, Nikki, is there anything that you want to suggest like best practices in terms of specifically communicating around fetishes to an existing partner? Definitely. 
So I would start with something that you actually talk about a lot and it's so important, which is like creating a container. Yeah. So you don't want to just like shove a toe in someone's mouth during sex and see how that goes. Like, I think it's something that you kind of need to have a conversation about, especially if it's a partner you've been with for a while. And if it's something that they kind of need to process and think about. So I think what I highly recommend is framing it positively because so many people, they frame it as like, it's really embarrassing. And like, mm. I know it's kind of gross or like, I know this is really fucked up, but, but I think that is the way to phrase it for your partner to not think of it as a fun, exciting thing. So, and sometimes it takes that personal work first to feel sort of okay with what it is you're turned on by, but bringing it up as a fun addition to one's sex life could be a really nice way to put it. I think it's helpful to also have specific ideas of what that can look like, because if your partner's interested saying, I'm turned on by leather can mean so many things. So instead say, I would love it if you wore a short skirt and like we danced together and then we had sex in this position. Uh, of course, only once they seem receptive and wanna know more, but I think it can be helpful. And even just having a video that you like to show your partner can be really helpful to sort of put into context and help them figure out if they're interested in exploring it and what that could look like. I also recommend taking it slow. So you don't have to dive into the most intense version of whatever the fetish is. You can kind of really take it slow, check in, see how that feels and work your way up to exploring more intense stuff if that's something you both like. And finally, I think it's really important to also, if you are the partner with your fetish, with a fetish, ask your partner what they're turned on by too. So don't make this like a one-way street. I think mm -hmm. a great way to start the conversation is, it, do you have any fantasies or desires you'd like to explore? Because I have a fun one that I'm interested in. And that could be a way to kind of make it just like a fun exploration. Mm -hmm. If you are still dealing with shame, that's something you can tell your partner and you should, because um, that could sort of help them. Maybe they can help you sort of work on that. And I think a lot of couples I work with, it's, their partner can really help them with that. If their partner doesn't yuck their yum and responds positively, that can really sort of help them get to a place of acceptance with themselves because oftentimes it feels like it's a secret they've held on for years and letting that out feels so good. Even in my first session with people, when they tell me what they're into, a lot of the time it's such a relief to just like get it out. Say it's it. like no longer say it, say the damn thing. So I recommend if you have a fetish, maybe just say it to yourself. If you feel like you have a sex positive friend or partner, the act of sort of getting it out there can be truly powerful. Um, Cause then it doesn't feel like it's just like bottled up inside you. And I think also you sort of get a sense of your partner. What I don't recommend is I've had a few folks who kind of try to hint at it with their partner without telling them. And then sometimes their partner does not respond in a positive way because they don't realize that they're talking about something that's important to their partner. Mm -hmm. Like they're like, ha ha balloons, that would be funny. And their partner's like, yeah, that is funny. And then they come back to me and they're like, okay, clearly my partner's not into it, but it's like, no, you haven't really told them in a way that yeah. feels like they can authentically connect to it. Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. So much sense. <sighs> okay. So Anything you want to leave everyone with? I guess just 
being a human is fucking weird. It's complicated, but it feels like life is too short to keep something in if it can bring you joy. And I think it's obviously about knowing timing and figuring out how, but I think that if there is something you're turned on by, you miss all of the shots you don't take. And I think a lot of us are with loving, kind partners or can find communities to explore this. It doesn't have to only exist in your head. And that doesn't necessarily mean exploring it with a partner. It could be exploring different types of masturbation or different types of fantasy with yourself. There are so many ways to explore. And I think that, yeah, it would just suck if you like look back in 20 years or in 30 years and you feel like this is like a dark secret you've kept forever because so many people that I work with, it's like once it gets out, they feel so much better and they can actually incorporate it. And it is something that is doable. It might take some work. It might take some uncomfortable conversations. Um, and if that's something you want to work through, I'm happy to have even like one session can kind of be enough to get things rolling. Um, yeah. It's so helpful. Thank you. So I'm going to put all of your info in the show notes of this. Um, but for anybody who is more auditory, where, where can folks find you? Yeah, of course. Uh, so you could check out my website, NikkiDavisF.com, spelled N-I-K-I-D-A-V-I-S-F. Also on Instagram at Miss Bloom Sex Educator, spelled M-I-S-S. Also for New Yorkers out there, I host a bunch of fun events around the city. So I have a sex trivia every month in Greenpoint. I host kinky carnivals and I'm hoping to get you on board with something soon. That'll be super fun. Yeah, same, same. Oh, Nikki, thank you so much for your time and for everything that you're doing in the world as well. It's, I so deeply appreciate you and, and all that you do. Of course. I so deeply appreciate you. And it was so nice to chat with you. And I'm excited for all our future, our futures together, whatever that is. Same, same. (laughs) That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together.